I thought Inouye was was the fighter of the night. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Davis' performance, but I was impressed with Santa Cruz's performance too. And uh, you know, I I do think that I mean we already know that Davis can punch. Right. You know, this this doesn't change. I mean, you know, I would say that you know anybody that size who hit with a punch like that, it would have the same effect. He'd knock him out cold. But but I do think that some questions opened up that maybe we didn't have before. Hi, this is Charles Farrell, and you're listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. If you want to know about boxing in all combat sports, this is the place to be, and it's the only place to be. Hello everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. Nelson Mandela in his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, about his life and the fight against apartheid, mentioned why boxing was important to him. He wrote, quote, I did not enjoy the violence of boxing so much as the science of it. I was intrigued by how one moved one's body to protect oneself how one used a strategy both to attack and retreat, how one paced oneself over a match, unquote. In today's fight against an American form of apartheid, which has become intensified with this presidential election, it is worthwhile examining what is happening in today's boxing world, not only to understand the sport, but also to grasp and to refine our understanding of the science of this fight, how we protect ourselves, how we use a strategy both to attack and retreat, and how we pace ourselves over this protracted struggle. On this edition of No Holds Barred, we did not delve into the political crises of the day, but did focus on several recent major fights which provides such understanding of the science and strategy of boxing. And to do that, we once again spoke with our colleague, correspondent, and the award-winning boxing writer, Charles Farrell. We spoke with him by phone Sunday. But before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot and Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, creator of the patented Skulls Double End Bag, is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, 
distance and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment. That's Skulls with a Z. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls with a Z Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y.com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Hello everyone around the world, welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. There has been a lot of very good boxing, whether you've seen it or not, of late. And we're going to be discussing that with someone that I've been speaking with for a very long time. has been in boxing in many different roles for a long period of time, which he's going to let you know, by the way, about a book that he has, which will be coming out next year. And that, of course, is the one and the only Charles Farrell. We have him on the line with us. And once again, welcome to No Holds Barred. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Eddie, and thank you for the nice build-up. Glad you could be with us in these crazy times, and despite the absence of crowds or very relatively small crowds for boxing, there's been a lot of a lot of good fights of late, and most of them are in weight classes that the general public, at least in the United States, overlooks and. The lower weight classes, uh, Tifima Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko, uh, Estrada Quadras II, uh, Naya Inouye's really masterful performance against Jason Maloney, uh, Javante Davis against Leo Santa Cruz. So there have been a lot of good things that have been going on. So l- let's start to talk about some of those. Very good. Tell us, you were really high on the Estrada Quadras two fight, saying it's really one of the best fights that you've seen in a long period of time. Tell us why you think that way. Well, you know, you almost never... I mean, I, I know that people tend to favor wars in when they're thinking about the fight of the year or their favorite fights. And I always felt that watching a war was um, too monochromatic a way to see a fight. So what I've always liked best is a fight between a really, really great tactician who can fight in the trenches and a a real bruiser who knows how to box. Um, You know, when both guys are complete professionals and they're focused and and there's there's a, each one of them is faced with a problem that they have to deal with. You know, in this case, you got Estrada, who may be the the best technical fighter fighting today. Um, you know, he does everything beautifully. He reminds me a lot of of, of Juan Manuel Marquez, and he reminds me a little bit of uh, you know Ricardo Lopez. Just very cerebral, very complete. Um, you know, a guy who's completely unflappable. And in Quadras, you've got a fighter who is brilliantly talented. 
you know, he's, first of all, he's enormous at 115. It's hard to believe that this guy, you know, makes 115. And he's fast-handed, and he can punch really hard with both hands. He's very aggressive. He's got a good chin, and he's got tons of heart. So, you know, you're watching this fight unfold at a, a very developed level. Both guys can really, really fight, and they stylistically match up beautifully. So I thought that this fight was particularly great because um, there was an ebb and flow to it. You never knew who was going to win the fight. And, um, and that was true up until the very end. It was almost impossible to know who was going to win that fight. And neither fighter lost anything from it. The, you know, both of their positions in terms of pound for pound were elevated. And I mean, for example, in the, in the semi, you know, um, Roman Gonzalez, who is a legitimately great fighter, but now fighting over his best weight and over his best age, looked very good and very tactical. But it occurred to me that both Estrada and Quadras would beat Gonzalez at this point. Both of them had lost to him previously. And, you know, that kind of mix is what I find most compelling. You know, if they were to fight again, it would be hard. To, I mean, my guess is Estrada would, would beat Quadras again, but you never know. I mean, he was down in that fight. He was hurt in that fight. Um, so, I mean, I think if you want to see a fight where, you know, sort of every element of, of good boxing is on display, in a, in a high drama fight, that's the kind of fight you look for. So I would say that that's the best fight I've seen in in the last couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned that Estrada was down. I think I'm not sure what the odds were, but I think a lot of people expected Estrada to win. And there was a real noted size difference between the two of them, even though they've been in weight class, the, the same weight class for many years and they had, had faced each other. I think that that surprised a lot of people that Quadris didn't care what happened before. He just came out and was more of the aggressor against the Strata. And that, I found that very interesting, Open, you know, opening on. But I think at a certain point, uh, Estrada took over the fight couple of rounds in and really began to dominate in there and uh, ended up closing the show. I think it was, a, it was a great performance, I think, by both guys. Well, I mean, it was, I, I agree. Uh, and I also think it's one of those occurrences where ring IQ trumps everything. I mean, realistically, uh, Quadris is bigger, he's stronger, he punches harder, he might even have faster hands. Um, what he doesn't have is the kind of acumen that Estrada had. In some ways, this fight, although it was a much more exciting fight, reminded me of um, of Mayweather's fight against Zab Judah. You know, where the physical, um, you know, all of the physical advantages went with Judah. Bigger, stronger, faster hands, bigger puncher, um, lower ring IQ. And I've always admired fighters who can think their way through a fight. You know, um, and that's what I saw Estrada doing. You know, under incredible pressure, I saw him thinking his way through this fight and figuring out what strategies would work and how to employ them. 
you know, sneaking in that left hook when, you know, it's sort of half uppercut, half hook um, in, in close range and letting that punch do its work over time, which, you know, I mean, you have to be a very disciplined fighter to fight that way. Yeah, and, and I, I commented on this uh, to you that when you watch the video, whether it's live or the video of it, it almost looks like the video was speeded up, Sped up. You know, right, which it, which right. it w- wasn't, because they were throwing so many punches accurately so quickly, and when it got that way, Estrada just, I, I said he punches him so many angles, it looked like he had four arms that were just coming at you from so many different directions in just about every punch in the book. And it just showed that he had much more, uh, as, as you said, acumen. He, he had so many more tools than, than Quadris did. He was able to figure him out because Quadris was a little less uh, differentiated in, in what he was doing. And then as, as that built up in a couple of rounds, Quadris continued to fight, but his his punches lacked the force that it did, even though he tried to stay quite busy when he knocked down he tried to when he got knocked down he tried to come back even more and and get in a firefight and you know he was knocked down twice in in round 11 and uh you know he still tried to to come back with combinations he didn't try to like run or hide which might have been a mistake at that point. I think he was beaten either way at that point. Yeah, but but he it's also, not, not, it's also not what he knows how to do. Right. You know, it's just he, stylistically that's that's not something he's capable of. But you know, you you just mentioned something interesting. You said you know once when, when he was down twice. I mean, he was in very very bad trouble. But you said he he's you know continued to fire combinations, which I mean that's a sign of a real pro. You know, he's not throwing desperate punches, you know, hoping to land something. He's actually still systematically trying to work his way in. I mean, you know, he's, you know, he's pretty much out on his feet, and he's, he's tired. And yet, his professionalism, you know, is the thing that, that he relies on in the end. Yeah, and, and most people that watched it that know a little bit of something about boxing felt that this was an easy fight of the year candidate and uh, who knows if they'll meet again in the future but because of uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez was on the same card and he had a game opponent who was outclassed and Chocolatito you know also looks like he'll throw like a million punches all at once is a little bit less than that as he's he's older he's slowed a little bit uh, but and I, he's heavier he's, he's, he's past you know he shouldn't fight at 115 yeah, but the, but if he fought at 112 or 108 or even if he could make 105 again, um, who's going to watch him? So what they did is they put him on as a co-feature on this card. Right. And so Estrada right. won and Chocolatito won. And now we're going to have them fight again. And the super flyweight division, 115, has been built up. It has a sort of branding as Superfly, you know. So that's one of the reasons that he... He stays there. That's that's where the money is. I mean, that's why that's where U- the money is. Right. That's why Usyk right, is fighting at heavyweight. There's no money at cruiserweight, which he, he dominated everybody, won every belt there was to to win, and he moved up to heavyweight. And that's why 
these these guys are doing it. So if Chocolatito is going to have sort of a, a swan song uh, next year, uh, I think that it's going to, you know, it's going to be at 115 and he'll get well paid doing it. I just hope he doesn't hope he doesn't get hurt because uh, that was a real danger there against somebody like Estrada. Well, I mean, you know, it was a real danger against a, a you know a giant like Rungvisai too. Mm-hmm. Rungvisai, I mean, uh, too. I mean, you know, he's just he's just physically too small a man to fight at that weight. But I understand that that's sort of his only option. And right now, you know, one one twelve, one fifteen, one eighteen, you know, probably especially one fifteen, is just a you know a hotbed of of great fighters. I mean, there's just so there are so many guys who can make competitive and interesting fights with each other and where the winner isn't a, you know is an auto, an automatic win if so, you if no, you've ever yeah. spoken to fighters about people, some people who don't know boxing might say well what they got weight, weight, separate weight classes every 3 pounds you know 112 mm-hmm. 115 118 and then 122 for 4 pounds the boxers would tell you that it's 3 pounds make all the difference in the world for the size of these fighters because you're dealing with people that are short of stature compared to right. wherever average people are although maybe not in the countries that that they come from so those street right. pounds make an awful lot of difference where they, they're going up to so if you have if well, anybody's I, I, stood next to these some of these people um you know, you'll see. Yeah, Ricardo wow, Lopez real... was 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 five feet tall, maybe. I mean, he he started his career. He weighed, I think, ninety five pounds. Yeah. You know, varied. But the other thing is, you know, when you're at one fifteen, I mean, and this is where weight really does make a difference. You'll get a guy like Roman Gonzalez, who really is a hundred and five pounder. So putting on ten pounds is a lot of weight. That's a big, big difference. But if he's fighting somebody like Quadras, for example, you know, or Rungvisai, those guys have to come way down to be 115. Mm-hmm. By the time they get into the ring, they're 132 pounds, you know, more or less. And so, you know, 115 versus 115 is not automatically two guys who are anywhere near the same size. So coming up in weight, can make an unbelievable difference. And I think, I think people see those numbers as just metrics, right? You know, the, well, these two guys got into the ring and they're both, you know, 115 pounds, so they're the same size. Well, they're not the same size. They're not even close. I mean, last night, um, you know, Javante Davis and, and Leo Santa Cruz, I think, came in at the same weight. Yeah, within like a, qu- a quarter of a pound for the five seconds that they stood on the scale right right the day the day you know, over a day before a day and however many hours before the fight right right and you know you see a guy who his entire career has been very very sturdy you know does not get knocked down does not get it's never been knocked out and suddenly he's hit by a guy who putatively right is his size but is nowhere near his size and you see the effects. And I mean, you know, Davis can, can punch. I mean, can really punch anyway. But part of it is that he's just hitting a much smaller man. Yeah, I mean, you know, Santa Cruz was fighting at the 130-pound 
limit, but he's really, what is he, a featherweight, a junior featherweight, realistically? 122, 126, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And right. and Davis, even Davis even holds one of these lightweight belts at 135 that technically was on the line last right. night. And he's a big, you know, he's a big guy. He's, he's a really muscular guy for 135. He could easily go up a weight class of two. So you you maybe had 140 versus 122 realistically in terms of their actual size. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, it's very interesting when when uh, Lomachenko beat Rigondeaux a few years ago. People yeah. asked him if it was his you know most important win or most impressive win, and he said, No, no, no. He said, You know, that that fight doesn't count because of the size difference. He goes, Really, he's way too small. And then I heard him interviewed recently, you know, before the Lopez fight, but they talked about him moving up to 140. And he said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm much too small to fight at 140. He said, I really shouldn't be fighting at 135, but that's where the money is and that's where the challenges are. Um, and so, you know, you, now you hear that Rigondeaux is thinking about maybe fighting at 115. So you see what is you know when he when he fights at 130, what he's sacrificing is you know again fighting a quality fighter is almost insurmountable because nobody was booking him because nope. the promoters didn't like his style because it wasn't you know a a, a Naturo Gotti type style it was so technical it was so precise and so beautiful but he wasn't like a big banger. And after he, was a big, he, he was a very big banger. It, what he wasn't was he wasn't a cinematic banger. But he was knocking guys out with one punch. Well, yeah, he he did that. But when he fought, you know, remember when he fought Denair, a yep. lot of these so-called experts thought it was a really close fight. When it was that was not a close fight by no. any means, and they based, no. they almost blackballed him at that point right. for beating Denair and for doing it in the way that he did, which is per obviously perfectly legal by the rules of boxing. doesn't say you'd stand in the pocket and just throw, two guys just throw bombs at each other's heads. It's called well, boxing. Well, I mean, he, was, he was definitely standing in the pocket. He just wasn't getting, getting hit by anything in the well, pocket. yeah, yeah. You know, but right, they, you know, he'd beaten the fighter of the year, and Aaron was angry about it. Right, and he was still with HBO at that point, and... They right. sort of uh, they sort of banished him. So that'll be interesting to see, though, as he's older and can he can he still make something like one fifteen? Well, he says he can. I mean, you know, there there are big big fights for him. The question is, you know, again, I mean, he could fight Inouye at at eighteen, and that would be an yeah. enormous fight, right? People would be interested. But you know, he's now in his later forties. Um, you know. There, and of course, he's been inactive, which is anathema to a, a an older fighter. Right. So, I mean, there's got to come a time when, you know, it, he just won't be able to, to perform at that level anymore. I don't think there's anybody close to Inouye's weight that can even be competitive with him at this point. He just showed so much in that fight with... Uh, with Maloney, he just totally dominated. It was not not a bad fighter, but just every punch in the book, he just controlled the thing from start to finish. 
and uh, I don't I don't see any you know I think he's one they're already saying he's one of the top pound for pound fighters that's he has out been for years he has yeah. been for years yeah you know that's just people picking him slow he's also I mean again it, it you know what he does you know I don't know whether or not fight fans casual fight fans see this as highlight real stuff but he's the single hardest puncher in the world you know I mean he pound hits you and he pound breaks or, things pound, pound for pound yeah. or yes okay. yeah pound, pound for pound of course yeah well, he got he got the, yeah. I mean, he those who like, even though he was beating up Maloney, the knockdown in round six was kind of a a one punch knockdown, and the knockout with the right hand in the seventh was sort of a a one punch knockout. Although Maloney was pretty much beaten up at that point. Well, he'd been beaten up for rounds. That so that's yeah. that was that's not the thing that contributed. These are one punch knockouts. I mean, or you know, or virtual one-punch knockouts, and when he went down, you know, I mean, he tried to get up, he's in good shape, he's a good fighter, but he had no idea what was going on. I mean, that, that punch just completely decimated him. Yeah, and the the other, the, the story they're giving anyway, why the Denier fight in the World Boxing Super Series final was not a complete blowout, it was that he Got his orbital bone uh, broken early in that right. fight with Denaire, uh, which means he was seeing double. He was seeing double, and he still clearly won the fight. But that's a, you know, that physical problem could come back to haunt him at some point or another. Because Denaire, you know, also was fought at different weights and right. and is much older, right. and was people didn't figure Denaire stood a chance of getting out of the first round of that tournament ended up having a competitive fight in the finals yeah yeah I mean, you know I mean, first of all Daenerys is a quality fighter he's a bigger guy you know he's a good puncher himself uh, and, and he's and always underestimated game. he's always underestimated because he doesn't come out and talk a lot of crap and I remember that the time this is a fight I was at where he fought uh, Darchidian and Darchinian is, you know, the flashy guy talking right, a lot of right. stuff and all of that, and was a huge right. favorite. And when Denaire stopped him, it was like, wow, how did, you know, it was viewed almost like as a fluke. Well, it certainly wasn't a fluke. That was 13 years ago, you know. Right. And right. where is no, Darchinian no, a... now? And where is Denaire now after all right. that time? Right. Well, Darchinian was, you know, one of these Prince Ahmed type guys you know he had some power against guys who were not really really well schooled but you know his his liabilities were so evident all the time he was awkward um, in the wrong way the way, way he yeah. stood and everything the way he held his, his hands right you know. and it turns out he didn't have much of a chin yeah you know so the other thing the other fight that I think we learned something on that didn't go exactly as people thought would would go was Javante Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. I think some of us thought it was going to be more domination by Davis and early on and Santa Cruz came right out and said I'm going to make this a firefight and if I go down it'll be by being in a firefight not sort of running around the ring 
And there were a lot of, lot of low blows, by the way, in that fight. And the referee was mm-hmm. not calling a lot of them. And there's a lot of stuff. The first round where uh, it was hard for me really to see, but where Davis was down and they said it wasn't a knockdown. But in yeah, I think that's right. I think it was not a knockdown. The second round, clearly, Davis clearly shoved him down. Shoved him. And right. there were right. there were low blows by both guys all the by time. By both guys, yep. And yep. Very rough fight. And just a little bit of uh, you know warning from the you know half-ass warning from the referee. Um, but Davis was, I think I honestly thought it would be over a little earlier than it was. It'll be a little more one-sided than it was. I, I didn't uh, I, I didn't expect to Santa Cruz to see the fourth round. I really didn't, because I, I was trying to figure out what does he have to hold Davis back? I mean, he's, you know, Santa Cruz is a fine fighter. There's no question about it. I mean, in terms of skill, you know, he, he can hang with pretty much anyone. But I thought there, there's just no weapons there. And Javanta has got such fast hands, punches from so many angles, hits so hard. I thought this has got to be, you know, this has got to be a one-sided and very fast. Um, Santa Cruz showed a lot. Um, it was, yeah, to me, it was quite a surprise. Good body work by both fighters, but even early on, uh, Santa Cruz went to the body, but so did Davis, which I think yeah. really had its effect. And the thing about Davis, the way he stands, sometimes he he just comes out too stiff. Uh, the, the way his whole approach to everything, and Santa Cruz looked more fluid, but he didn't yeah. have the he didn't have the size or the power to take advantage of that, you know, very, very much. But he was game. He came right Very on. game. Yeah. Very game, yep. And also, here's what surprised me a little bit. Davis has got very fast hands. And I noticed that Santa Cruz was was more or less matching him in terms of hand speed, which I did not expect to see. He's, he's done that before, though, where he gets in these fights where... He'll throw, you know, an enormous amount of punches, and he really has to adjust sometimes in fights just to make sure it isn't just two guys against standing there trading blows to control it more and to control the distance more, which is what he did in in the second fight with Frampton. But he just he just was overmatched in this fight. Physic- physically overmatched, yeah, yeah. right. Well, but here's some another thing that surprised me a little bit about this fight, and it's it's maybe worth watching in the future. It might be, you know, it might be a, a kind of signal that's worth taking a look at. Santa Cruz was ne- was never a big puncher. He wasn't a big puncher at 22. wasn't a big puncher at 26. And you would assume that his punches wouldn't affect Davis at all, and yet Davis was feeling those punches. So it makes it makes me wonder, at least, just how good a chin Davis has. Maybe he doesn't have the chin that we thought he had, and that could be a problem when he starts to fight bigger guys. That's the Mayweather thing: is you know you fight guys that you're almost ahead of time, assured of uh, of having a victory, 
because uh, right. of size or somebody. Well, the other thing is that Santa Cruz has been through a lot of wars and is in the latter stages of his career, and Davis is in the ascending stages of his career. You know? Presumably, yeah. And yeah. the thing is that that knock. He, by the way, Davis was with with the uppercut that got the knockout. He yeah. was testing from the very first round. He was measuring and testing that uppercut. That uppercut. That left he landed uppercut. it over and over. Yep. yep. Yeah. And and it would obviously didn't have as much of an effect, and it wasn't the the perfect scenario where in the end with Santa Cruz is on the ropes and he's throwing punches and there's an opening and you're right the real he came in really quick with it and knocked him out cold and, and right. I think I think in terms of the the marketability all of this stuff we're talking about you know they put up uh, the people running the fight put up uh, on online on social media the knockout so even if you didn't see the fight and you didn't pay whatever ridiculous amount they were charging for the pay-per-view in the U.S. You got to see the knockout. So everybody was talking about the knockout. So, because uh, it was so brutal and against a, a you know, a very, a very good fighter like Santa Cruz. Not right, against a, right. a nobody. Although sometimes they make a big deal when it's, a, you know, a, a real lesser fighter gets knocked out and something is very visual, they put it up anyway. But if anybody didn't research, they said, that this guy is really good, Santa Cruz. He's never been knocked out before, right. Yeah, right. and he was knocked um, out cold. It wasn't one of cold. these, you know, things, the referee stopped the fight and any controversy, a referee could have counted to 100, you know, on that. Well, I mean, the, the, really, you know, the, the moment the punch landed, the fight got stopped. I mean, you know, I mean, he fell so fast, there was nothing to be done about that, but there was no count. Right. Well, and, he was know. completely, he was getting beaten up, and he was completely out, and so the referee was 100% correct in stopping the fight. But but people are going to remember that, and mm-hmm. I think that in terms of the significance, because of, the size difference and everything. I mean, who who do you think had a a better performance, Inouye or Davis? I would give the edge to Inouye, given the level of competition and what he did. He just totally dominated. He did what he was supposed to do against a good fighter. But he totally dominated from the first belt to the very end of the fight. And Davis had, you know, it was close in terms of who had a better better performance and I'm not just talking about the visual the visual end of it because Maloney wasn't knocked out cold by the knockout punch although he was you know loopy and he he tried to get up and he fell over right uh, but but I think that the, the more slightly more impressive performance was from in a way although that, that can be debatable no, I, I no, I think it was too. I mean, again, start to finish domination uh, against a quality fighter, maybe not quite the fighter that Leo Santa Cruz is, but a, you know, a very good fighter who is where there's no size advantage to either guy. Um, so, no, I thought I thought in a way was was the fighter of the night, um, and I thought, you know, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Davis' performance, but I was impressed with Santa Cruz's performance too. And uh, you know, I, I do think that. I mean, we already know that Davis can punch. Right. You know, this, this doesn't change. I mean, you know, I would say that you know anybody that size who hit with a punch like that, it would have the same effect. He'd knock him out cold. 
but but I do think that some questions opened up that maybe we didn't have before. Well, it's on the you level know, I, of the level of competition that he right. that he had faced before. He's fighting a a world class guy against smaller and older, but he had he hadn't really faced anybody. Again, his career is young, right? But but he hadn't faced anybody on that level. So I don't know what what they're going to do with him at one thirty five. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Right now, especially during COVID, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity for, I'm going to say, anywhere up to a dozen guys at 135 who are all marketable. Some are very, very marketable, um, most of whom are undefeated, who are all young, either in their prime or about to enter their prime. None of them are past their prime. And there are big fights for every one of them against each other. If the marketing, again, could be recalibrated so that you do not need an undefeated record to be a marketable fighter, these guys could string this out for a couple of years and they could all make a lot of money and there would be some very, very good fights that came about as a result. I mean, I mean who wins? Does Lopez beat Davis? Does Davis, you know, does, does Lopez beat Progress? If he moves up, does he beat Taylor? Does he beat Stevenson? Does he, you know... Um, Can you make all those fights with all the ridiculous politics of the networks and boxing? Well, you know, there was a time when you certainly couldn't. But, you know, I, I do see that there are some very good and sort of hard-to-predict fights being made. And you like to think that maybe, you know, maybe the people who are putting these fights together are getting a read on their audience, that if they put together these really exciting fights, you know, especially when people can't come to the arenas anymore, they'll pay to see them, you know? Um, I mean, you know, even, even Ryan Garcia, who's a sort of surefire moneymaker, you know, putting him in with Luke Campbell that's that's by no means a guaranteed win. Um, you know, so I mean, that's the fight people want to see. I know I want to see that fight. But what you need to do is you need to prepare the you know the ticket buyers or uh, you know viewers who will pay for it. You need to prepare them for the what if part of it. Gar- you know? Garcia is twenty two. Devin right. Haney's twenty one. Javante right. Davis is twenty five. Tiafima Lopez is 23. But Tiafima right. Lopez is, is, is... How old is Stevenson? Shakur Stevenson? I'll, I'll, 20, I'll, 22, 23? I'll have to look that up, but he's... he's yeah, he's pretty yeah. young. But, but Tiafima Lopez is with Top Rank and ESPN. Javante Davis is with Mayweather and Showtime Fox. Devin Haney, for now, is fighting on the zone. Ryan Garcia is with Golden Boy, Golden Boy fighting right. on the zone. Right. How, how are you going to make? Do we want to see them over the next few years? Yes, and we don't know what's going to happen with the zone anyway. Anyway, we don't know what's going to happen with any any of these networks, right. including Showtime pay per view. But if they all stay there, somebody's going to have to bite the bullet and and work together on these things. And it's not. 
the amount of money in as you know Fury and Wilder or Fury and Joshua or something where they figure a way to do it because there's an enormous amount of money and also these guys some of these countries that are willing to overpay ridiculous amounts like Saudi Arabia and all that are going to be much less likely to do it for, for lightweights and featherweights and super flyweights than they are for heavyweights so uh, do we want to see it yes I'm just thinking that how many years have we been waiting for Terence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. Um, you know Crawford's fighting Kell Brook who's Kel on Brooke, the way right, out right. Spence we don't Maybe. know what condition he's in you know from his accident but right. um, he's facing Danny Garcia who's, who's a tough fighter and what the condition that Spence, the big question mark is the condition Spence is in because if, if Spence was back to where he was he should be able to win that fight clearly but if he's not right. you know th that's the question we don't know the answer to so but but aside from the issue the accident how many years have we been talking about this stuff and this doesn't get it doesn't get made when they finally put a good fight on ESPN of of Lopez and Lomachenko that fight itself got decent numbers it was like a five or six hour broadcast and the numbers were paltry it was only at the end you know for the last fight which by the way started at almost just a few minutes before midnight eastern time yeah. which i think yeah. is insane to keep doing that even under current conditions you get all the the boxing politics coming into it so we could sit here and say we'd really like to see these fights going on but we, we don't really know what's going to happen and and the zone boxing has been anchored by three guys that haven't fought in a while. Canelo, who's suing them, and we don't right, know what the right. result will be. Joshua, who's fighting Pulev in, in December, but, you know, that's considered a fight that he should definitely win it's, as a mandatory. And Golovkin. We don't know what's happening with Golovkin. So the zone seems to be... The zone has done some really interesting things but for the U.S. and boxing not necessarily good because they're expanding internationally now to the 200 countries but what it means is that they've kind of realized that they're not going to get the big marquee sports in the United States football baseball basketball things like that and they also have a ridiculous pricing structure where you could pay a hundred dollars per year but if you want to get it per month it's twenty dollars a month because a lot of people were getting it for just one or two fights and then and then canceling which discourages people especially in a pandemic and a recession from from trying it out for a month so I haven't resubscribed after pausing it because it would be twenty dollars a month and I don't want to put a hundred bucks into something which you know is not the may greatest not time to do it and it yeah. may not be around and what's yeah. what are the big fights that everybody wants to see for 2021 Fury and Joshua Hearn is saying right. they're going to have two fights okay now right at this point nobody knows what the world is going to be like but let's assume they have those two fights in the US is that going to be on zone? no it's going to be on pay-per-view so you can end up you know 
Aram is, and Fury aren't going to do it otherwise than doing it on one of these expensive pay-per-views. So what are you getting from it? That that's To me, that's dragging down the whole sport, the whole business structure. And I really think boxing has become more and more marginalized by, by what they've been doing, particularly in 2020. And a lot of other sports have surpassed it. And I think that, you know, the UFC fans is more of a cult, but I think they've surpassed that They've had some successful, from a financial point of view anyway, pay-per-views. A lot more people are watching what in America is called soccer. And I think more people in the U.S. are even watching European football than they are boxing. And again, this weekend was an example. The three big fights, the two we discussed with uh, Davis and Santa Cruz and um, in a way in Maloney and the other one we really haven't discussed about Usyk and Chizur were all behind paywalls. So well, again, you know, yeah. Him. I mean, look, a seventy-five dollar price tag for for you know for, for Davis and Santa Cruz is suicide. You know, it 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 does no one any good, and it certainly doesn't pay the fighters because because nobody's you know nobody's buying it. It's just it's just dumb, you know. And and then you know to put on a, a you know a relatively unimportant undercard, you're going to give if you're going to charge people seventy-five bucks to watch a fight on television, you know. Top to bottom, it's got to be first rate. No mismatches, no nonsense. Um, but I don't, you know, I disagree with you about, I think, to a degree about the zone and ESPN, uh, ESPN Plus, anyway. Um, I, I think, you know, I think paywalls are, are that's not going to change. That's, a, that's the wave of the future. So I think what you really need to do is become realistic about about how to you know how to promote those paywalls how how to give people their money's worth and cooperatively make some money and not make people who are paying for the fights feel that they're overpaying for stuff that's not very good i mean yesterday the zone had a bunch of women's fights that were you know i'll be charitable and call them abysmal um, you know, I I don't think that you should supposed to pay to watch two minute rounds. Two minute rounds is not professional prize fighting. I don't know what it is, but it's not professional prize fighting. A lot of the women um, want three minute rounds, but the people they should running boxing. A lot of them want two minute rounds. These commissions and the WBC, for example. Well, you know if. if you know, if they want to make women second-class citizens, I guess that's the way they. One of the ways that they do it, you know. But um, here's the thing with ESPN Plus, okay? Yeah. First of all, it has the ESPN name, but more importantly, they have a bundle with $13 a month, and they may raise the price a little bit, but I think it's $13 now. You get yeah. Disney Plus, which the whole family can watch because it has all it has all the kitty stuff and it has right. the, the superhero comic book movies and which appeal to you know younger people and older people and has all kinds of stuff in there plus you get Hulu which has a ton of material uh, various documentaries and TV shows and all that plus ESPN plus which has more of the 
you know, not all the, the marquee events that are on ESPN, but that's $13 a month or $20 a month for DAZN, which will have maybe one or two important fights a month on there, or $100 a year for something that's uncertain. It's not, it's not competitive. You can get $15 a month, HBO Max, which has everything that's on, and this is just entertainment now, but everything that's been on HBO, plus a large amount of TV shows and movies and older HBO content, and older HBO series that you watch on demand whenever you want to watch it. For, I think it's $6 a month, you can get CBS All Access, which next year they're going to change the name, the ridiculous name of Paramount Plus. But you get every... This is for just a certain group of people. Every Star Trek show or movie ever made, including a number of new ones coming on, plus CBS TV series and some movies and old series and, and stuff that wasn't even on CBS like Cheers and all kinds of different things. You could, for Amazon, for $120 a year, get not have to pay delivery charges on most things plus right, get a, a but, ton of movies it's not it's not competitive so they're going to well, go to they're, but they're apples and oranges they really are i mean I'm, for example there's almost no amount of money that i would do, wouldn't be willing to pay to not get that cvs thing you know to not have it delivered to not have to watch star trek i've got my whole life without ever seeing star trek and god damn it i'm going to go the rest of my life without ever seeing yes star but trek. that's I mean, that's why it's a smaller service my point is that it, there's there's a marketplace out there and there's all, in the u.s it's not competitive they're going to be charging the equivalent of two pounds in most places around the world to watch a lot of these these fights to watch a lot of the international content that they have on two pounds, which will be about, you know, depending on the exchange rate, it's roughly two dollars and change, two fifty so a month. Yeah. And, that, and that's for 200, 200 plus countries, and they could just rake it in with minimal cost, just setting up, you know, the exchange and the, all the different yeah. currencies and making sure that videos are available. But with, it's a minimal cost because they're already putting on that product, and they may bring in local content from various countries or regions if they if they continue that's what that scale that's they're now going from nine countries to to virtually the whole world to literally billions of people and that's where they're going to make that's going to make the money it's like they've almost given up on the united states so well, right right but that's the that's the market and so they lost, obviously, with the pandemic. They didn't have content and the recession. They lost a lot of people. They expect to get up to their 8 million people. They're claiming uh, James Rushton, the, the head of it, said later by the end of this year. But that's going to be a, from different countries and a different group of people. They lost a right. ton of people in the U.S. And they're not going to get those people back anytime soon. So the whole their well, business yeah. focus has changed because the big thing a couple of years ago, they're bringing in Joshua, Canelo, Golovkin, or, you know, uh, Matchroom, Golden Boy, all the World Boxing Super Series, and they got all these boxing people. That focus has changed now. 
Right. No, it has. I mean, that's it, and that's a very, very real problem. Now, for some reason, they're still charging me the the nine ninety nine a month. So they told me I couldn't do that. When I, they, when I did I, it. When I paused it, they said you can pause it. The on the monthly. When you come back, it's going to be twenty a month. That's what they said. Well, I paused it, and when I came back, it was it was ten bucks a month. Nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine, same as always. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why, but I'm telling you, that's what they. That's what they. Oh, wrote I believe you. You know, uh, I didn't ask them. I mean, you know, when they when they gave it to me for the other price, I just I just uh, assumed that they they loved my work or something. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, but 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 uh, you know, I but I don't differentiate that much. I mean, again, if I'm going to see a couple of good fights a month, and right now the zone has got a bunch of good fights lined up. Yes. I don't, you know, if it's nine ninety nine a month for them or five ninety nine for ESPN Plus, I don't much care. I figure that's fair value. You know, uh, a couple of good fights a month is fine. I might I, not I have canceled it if I still could get it for the the ten bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Well, I might have re- you know, or, or resubscribed after a certain period of time when they started running. You know, good fights again. I might have resubscribed, but well, here's the other thing: is do you, you know, how important is it for people to see all these fights live? Because between YouTube and Daily Motion, virtually every fight ends up there. And if and and sometimes if it's in a language you don't understand, that actually helps because oh you, yeah, you don't have to it, hear it. Always helps. You don't always have to helps. hear the crap that these annou- these announcers are saying in the lang- in English if. That's the language you understand. Right. Oh, let me let me just parenthetically mention this. Um, yesterday was the first time I listened to Andy Lee doing commentary mm-hmm. on the zone, and whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. He is he is great. So I, I hope he listens to this. But Andy Lee is doing an absolutely first rate job. Well, some pe- some ex fighters are good, and some are are not so good. I'll, ju- I'll just put it like that. Right, right, right. Which you know, but which I think it's up, by the probably, way, Usyk uh, Chisora, where you know you had some people making it sound like it was a, you know, Chisora really won, was robbed, or it's a super oh. close fight. Well, you know, I have to say, I, I had it, I had it one fifteen, one thirteen, you know, for Usyk. So that's pretty close. You know, I mean, I understand. You know, he, he what he had to do for the first half of the fight. He had no choice. I mean, this is again very. You know, you can you can compare it to Lomachenko Lopez to some degree. You know, there's a certain amount of tiring out that you have to let the bigger, stronger, harder punching guy do. And while you're doing that, you're sacrificing. You're sacrificing rounds. So, you know, in a fight where there's a clear winner. The scorecards might not necessarily reflect, you know, what a, um, you know, a professional and intelligent strategic job you've done to win your to win your fight. The thing with Usyk is that, as we said, at cruiserweight, although he had some close fights there, yeah, he beat everybody, he won every belt. He yep. he moved up to heavyweight, and he wasn't even super impressive against the journeyman. And Chaz Witherspoon. Now he fights Chisora, 
who is really not an, an A-level fighter, but Chisor is much bigger than him and much slower and much less accurate and lumbering around the ring with a lot of wide, low punches and awkward and all that. And he made it a, a competitive fight. It, it was I didn't find it a particularly good fight to watch. But what, but this was viewed as, a, as a, not an end in itself, but as a test for how is Usyk going to deal with a, a guy with a really big weight advantage. Right. And if he's planning to fight somebody like Joshua or Fury, you know, that's going to be the end of his undefeated record. Well, I, I see this slightly differently, I think. Um... I think that Chisora is, is, a, is a bona fide test for all of his limitations. And I'll tell you why. First of all, he legitimately punches very hard he, by any standards. You know, I mean, he's right up there with the biggest punchers in the division. He's not necessarily the biggest puncher, but he belongs in the conversation. He also is one of those fighters who is intermittently de- very determined. You know, he's a moody guy, and it affects his performance, and sometimes, you know, he's sort of less committed than other times. But there are times when he's very committed. And this was a fight where he was very committed to winning. And he also, although he's ungainly, although he's got lousy footwork, although he throws, you know, for the fences a lot of the time, he's got fast hands. So those things all factor in. And he's he's a rough guy which also factors in. So I thought this was, this was, first of all, I thought it was a good fight. I also thought it was a really, really instructive fight. I also think, by the way, in terms of pure boxing ability, with the exception of Estrada, and maybe, I'm trying, nobody else comes to mind. There may be a couple of other people who belong in there. Usyk is as good a pure boxer as anyone you'll see. And he's just, a, just a, you know, uh, he, he's certainly a better technical boxer than Lomachenko. You know, he's just a... Um, and, and in terms of his legs, the guy he moves most like is Billy Kahn, which is really a compliment. But but this fight, again, it looked like they were guys from two different weight classes and even more than than Davis and Santa Cruz and there's been some sure. some rumbling they're throwing out about creating another weight class oh, no. 215 oh, no. to 220 something um, which would kind of really disrupt boxing oh, history a lot. But, but remember Usyk won his gold medal at the Olympic heavyweight limit, which I think is like 201 or something like that, and Joshua right. won his at super heavyweight. They, they are different They they are different weight classes. So I don't know if they're going to change it around. You know, there's, they're throwing out these proposals, bring cruiserweight back down to 190, make something at 215, 220 something, yeah. so Usyk can be, guys like Usyk can become a champion then, but they won't have to face the, the, the huge you know, the huge guys that are out there. Right, right. Well, all I can say is, you know, Joe Lewis at about 200, knocked out Lou Nova, Buddy Bear, 265, 260, you know, learn how to fight. Learn how to fight. 
you know, um, figure out a way to do it. Figure out. I mean, to me, Usyk is working out his strategies now. He's, you know, trying to figure out how do I deal with these guys, and you know, he had a problem in front of him last night, and he solved it. Um, you know, there are things he can do at 217. I mean, you know, he, at 217, he's bigger than Sonny Liston was for most of Sonny Liston's career, and I guarantee you, the Sonny Liston would have had no problem with Derek Chisora. Or, or Anthony Joshua, for that matter, or Tyson Fury, for that matter. You know, there are things you just learn how to do. And, you know, one of the things that I think Usyk could have learned from last night's fight, and I think he probably went into this fight in terms, you know, thinking along these lines, is, you know, you just up your, your output. Just, you know, you come in, you're in better condition than anybody you're going to fight. Well, that's certainly going to be true with Usyk. He's always going to be in better condition than his opposition. So what he does is, you know, he just ups the ante round after round after round. He accelerates the pace. He uses his legs more and more. And, you know, you saw by the end, Chisora's just reeling around the ring. He's got him so drunk. That's an advantage. That's something you can do with these big guys if you know how to do it. Um, you know, so it's it's not a question of coming up with a new division it's it's coming up with a strategy that works against guys who outweigh you by 35 or 40 pounds you know it's not easy to do to to give one example of size which i just looked up the uh fight of the one of the fights of the previous century ollie fraser won ollie weighed 215 fraser 205 and a half under this, that that wouldn't right. be the, what are they going to, you can have a heavyweight and a super heavyweight division, or whatever you're going to call it. That would really right. throw a monkey wrench into boxing history if you come up with a 220 or 224 pound uh, division. Ali wouldn't have been there almost all of his fights until just the, the, the last few years. Right, right. Well, and when, when, and when Leon beat him, Leon didn't weigh 200 pounds. You know, yeah. and and for that matter, when Roy Jones won his version of the heavyweight title, I think he came in at two hundred on the button, and he was weighted down with an overcoat and weights. Yeah, and you there know? there are ways you could do that. You could eat a meal, drink a lot of water, not go to the bathroom, and all that stuff. Because your weight fluctuates during the course of the day, anyway. Well, I mean, all I mean, all of these guys who make weight weigh 12 pounds, 15 pounds more within an hour. You know, and they, it's just, it's something that all legitimate professional fighters know how to do. They know how to, you know, get tip, get onto the scale at weight. But but here's the thing, here's the thing with Usyk, why I see that, that he has to do it. Because if, for monetary reasons, if he has to fight at heavyweight, the big money is going to be if he fights whoever emerges from, again, assuming they actually have it, which is a, a lot of questions, the, between the Fury and Joshua fights, that's where the huge money is going to be right. in his right. career. And if he loses, right. everybody's going to say, well, he lost to a guy who was, you know, huge. 35 pounds, to 40 pay. pounds heavier. Right. Yeah, to right. him. And so it's not going to take anything away from you know, his status. 
because right. right now he's you know he he's got a he's got an open ticket to the Hall of Fame when he uh, when he retires. So this won't tarnish that at all. But that's where the money is, because what's he going right. to go back down and fight? You know. Breedis or Dortico yeah. or one of these these guys guys like you and me would like to see something like that but you know we don't even know if the World Boxing Super Series is going to survive all of this right. this stuff it's it's unclear at this point and even if they make those fights without it you know was it, it going to be in, in Riga Latvia on you know the zone or something isn't the money isn't there so it's it's a money really no lose situation for him even if he and, and if he gives a good accounting of himself if he goes the distance i think there's a really good chance he could go the distance with either of those guys in in a losing effort well maybe or even if he doesn't look you know santa cruz got knocked out cold by one punch last night does his status diminish in any way at all? Absolutely. Or is it enhanced? It's enhanced, right? So, again, if you know, if Usyk winds up fighting, I mean, look, even if he fights somebody who theoretically he should handle with ease, let's say he fights Deontay Wilder for you know a chance to fight one of the, you know, either Fury again or or Joshua or however you want to set it up, doesn't matter. And he boxes circles. Around, well, you know, Wilder's actually a bad example because Wilder doesn't weigh so very much either. But I'm going to say, you know, if he gets knocked out with one punch, I don't think it does him a lot of harm. And, you know, if if, if he boxes, if, you know, if he confuses Joshua for half a dozen rounds, which he could, which he could, especially stylistically, and Joshua, you know, ultimately catches him and knocks him out. You know, hasn't hurt him a bit. Um, so, you know, is he going to do that I, much I, better against Joshua than he did against Chisora? Well, it's a different fight. I know. Um, I I expected him to do much better against Chisora than he did. Frank and I talked about it. I, you know, I said the one it's thing about Frank all Luterzo, these guys for people that yeah, for, are not hip. Yeah, yeah, great, so great boxing analyst. Yeah, my apologies, Frank. You know, I'm I'm talking about you. Uh, um. You know, until you see a guy that size get hit by a big heavyweight who can punch, you don't know for sure. I mean, we both felt, I think I think Frank felt it was going to be a decision, and I thought it was either going to be a decision or he was going to wear, just sort of down, just, you know, spin him in circles and, you know, get him chasing shadows and would exhaust him and knock him out late, which he almost did. But... There's always that factor that you have to take into account. What happens when he gets hit on the chin by a guy who weighs between 250 and 260 who can punch? And, you know, you don't know. So I, I think Joshua, in some ways, could make Usyk look better for a certain amount of time. Because Joshua is not a, a one-round fighter. It's just not the way he fights. He's more measured. He's, you know, he's more patient. He doesn't have a, any kind of real instinct to destroy anybody. So, you know, if Andrew Ruiz gave him trouble, Usyk could give him. I mean, Andrew Ruiz is a bigger puncher, bigger guy, of course, weighs a lot. But I could see a guy who moves, sticks and jabs, 
you know, is, is a southpaw, does a lot of feints. I could see that taking Joshua a while to acclimate to. We don't know. You know, my, my, my money's on Anthony. <laughs> right. That said. Right. Well, well, that's my point. If he loses to him, it's no. He doesn't really, doesn't really lose too much. And I wonder who, if he doesn't fight Joshua uh, next, because uh, he's supposed to be his WBO mandatory, and it's mm-hmm. unclear whether that's gonna. You know, again, everything is unclear in boxing. But if if Joshua beats Pulev and Fury beats whoever his hand-picked opponent is and they go straight to a fight next year, which certainly makes the most sense, what are they going to do with Utsik? you got to find somebody else in the ratings for him, for him to fight. That's a good question. I mean, you could have him fight Joseph Parker, I suppose. There might be some interest in that. The, the guy Zhang Zilei, the Chinese guy that's being built up, who's kind of old. Maybe. King, King Kong Ortiz is fighting this coming weekend. I don't know if that might be... What, to celebrate his 50th birthday? Something like that. His birthday yeah. is in March. Oh, okay, well... <laughs> uh, I know that because it's close to mine. But Well, maybe one of his children's 35th birthday. Okay. Um... You know, I mean, there's, what, there's Joe Joyce. I mean, he beat Joe Joyce in the amateurs. That might be, you know, that's an well, easy Dubois fight Well, Dubois is going to probably beat... Dubois is someone that's waiting in the wings. He, if he wins yeah. the sides to Lee against Joe Joyce, which which I expect to yeah, happen, yeah. Right. Uh, then, mm-hmm. then he you got they want to move him quickly into yeah. the mix. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're absolutely right, of course. All right, well... But you could that you could put him again. Yeah, you could Usyk against Joe Joyce, assuming you can get the politics worked out uh, for that. But once a guy loses, it becomes a little easier for the different promoters to work together and treat him like a sacrificial yeah. lamb. That's right. That's right. So I mean, I'm I'm just less optimistic about the future of all this because even though we've had all these these good fights recently so I just said earlier I think with the way putting so much of this stuff behind a paywall uh, bad marketing you know not reaching out properly to the public uh, people don't care that much and on top of it something I've really said since the beginning a lot of people are still in mourning and are still grieving from all the deaths and illnesses that have gone on with the pandemic and we don't know we're talking on Sunday we don't know what's going to happen what craziness is going to ensue with the U.S. presidential election and the other elections that are up there's just so many things going on to focus on boxing you know requires a kind of special effort and a real commitment to it more so than in less chaotic and Less dismal times as we are now. So, I think that I think there are a lot right, of right. lot of uh, a lot of strikes against them, to use a baseball analogy. Well, I think I look. I, that's pretty inarguable, and it's not a you know it's not an existential necessity. But you know, again, we've 
we've seen a, a host of very, very good fights recently and good fights scheduled for the near future. You know, I always think that if you put together good fights with narrative that is educational, and I don't mean pedantic, but I mean, you know, where you can start to teach people what they're actually watching, where, you know, um, that there's, a, you know, hire professionals to do that work. Boxing becomes interesting the more you know about it. The more you know, the more you understand what you're saying. Um, the more able you are to recognize nuance in a fight. And nuance in a fight is what really makes fights great. Um, and we're on the verge of maybe being able to do that. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's an opportunity. And I would like to see, you know, I would like to see a concerted effort, um, you know, on, on, in behalf of that, on behalf of that. Well, we'll see again the heavyweight to the really big draw. We're going to see this coming Saturday, November 7th, with a lot of other stuff happening. But this is card they're putting on all these heavyweight fights on the same card. And, uh, you know, Frank Sanchez, who's a guy they're building up, is on the card. Not very good. King Kong Ortiz. Carlos Negron, who is a big, tall fighter, um, you know, who they're trying to get into position for a title fight, but it's going to be tough. And they have another guy, Michael Coffey, who's 10-0 against journeyman Joey Abel, who... Oh, yeah. Who a is, little tough guy. A little tough guy who likes to fight, even though when it's clear he's he's going to lose, he's, he shows up to fight. So that could be... That's going to be... That could be a sleeper of a card, just in terms of... Uh, you know, if you really, if you just want to watch knockouts, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, nothing wrong with fun cards. You know, uh, I don't see any of these guys as future heavyweight champions. And you know, at one point, I, I certainly wouldn't have said that about Luis Ortiz, who I thought was by far the best heavyweight in the world for a while. Right. Uh, and know. I think the hey, the Devin Haney Gamboa fight, I think, is on. Uh, is that on the zone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I, it's funny. Of course, I'd say, well, that's that's going to be an easy fight. But maybe last night has you know has taught me to be a little bit cautious about making those those kind of you know careless predictions. Yeah, they also have two heavyweight fights: the Chinese fighter Zhang Zilei against Devin Vargas, who I think he'll knock out. Vargas, I think, was a U.S. Olympian, and that was about it. And uh, Philippe Hargovich is another undefeated guy with a good amateur background against yeah, R- maybe can fight Booker. a little bit. Yeah, Rydell Booker. So that could be entertaining as well. That could be. Yeah, that that's a fight worth watching. At least keeping an eye on. Yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. And if you don't get these pay services, look at look for it on YouTube or Daily Motion. It'll be a little bit later, um, but. People put put the stuff up there, especially when you have all these cards on at the same time, because you had the yeah. NOA and the Davis Santa Cruz fight were on at the same time on rival pay pay behind rival paywalls. Right, right. I know. I I, I watched uh, 
I watched the Inouye fight a couple of minutes after it took place. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to, to see Davis and uh, Santa Cruz. So, yeah. yeah. So there were ways. There were ways around the attempts of the, the the lords of boxing to pick our pocket and screw us over. That are illegal, yeah. by the way, because if somebody maybe illegally posts it on YouTube or Daily Motion or something like that, but you watch it on that, that's not illegal, unless you put it up. If you didn't put it up, you're just going to watch something that somebody else posted, and if it's not good, they'll take it down, which they do take some of these things down but I think the secret is that the boxing establishment likes all these fights being on YouTube and daily motion because when somebody's fighting somebody and they want to see video on them they go straight to one of these sites to look at it right and not have to call right. a network and have them send you something and may, you would go through a whole bureaucracy. It's right there. You look it up, you click on it, you're watching it in, in seconds. So I, that's the little, to me, that's the little secret, whether they admit it or not, that they really don't mind it once the result is known that these fights are up there. Too, they don't mind it right. too much. Right, I think that's true. I think that's right. All right, so anyway, let's wrap it up, but I know you wanted to talk about a book that you have coming out uh, the schedule to come out for next year assuming there is what, a next year what I want is I want you to talk a book about a book I have coming out I it's haven't read it yet for me to do it I well, haven't read it I've just seen <laughs> I've just seen uh, the cover and I've seen that uh, cover before if it's the same one that uh, you had a while ago but there's a picture of it on the cover of somebody that uh Looks like you, who right? It looks like a young version of me, right? Yeah, but a young gangster version of well, you, uh, standing with like, somebody that we all we all knew, and one of the most popular fighters of all time, and Floyd Patterson, and it's right. called Low Life with a particular spelling of the word low to give it a sort of double double meaning. That's right. Let's let's read the whole title, Eddie. My God, if you know, I gotta, I gotta look it up. I didn't. I don't have it. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna look it up. Okay, you're gonna make me look it up. I'm gonna have to go. Yeah. Give me give me a second here. I had it. I had it. Take before. your time. Uh, bear in mind. I mean, while we're talking, I'm looking at Boxrec and I'm you know referencing you know who fought, <laughs> who went. So I figure I've done my homework. It's now time for you to do I, your homework. Well, I thought you were going to... Okay, give me a second. It is on Amazon, but you can uh, actually order it, but it's not coming out till till next year. Till June, yeah. But it, folks, if you're listening to this, it's written. I promise you, it's, the book is done. It's, it's supposed to come out June 29, 2021. It's called Low Life, and low is in parentheses, a memoir of jazz, fight fixing, and the mob. Thank which you. It's a tremendous amount of uh, intersection of all of those. And so this is going to be your memoir at this? This is my memoir, yeah. Yeah. The picture of you on it with the little gangster-looking uh, mustache and a, a dark 
a dark shirt and a, a light looking tie is uh i assume was uh, part of the uh the dress code of uh it was a it was a good suit i don't know i you know in those days i wore suits and uh and i had hair so i you know yeah I but the dark hair. shirt and the light tie was not or in those days you didn't see it as much except among certain uh certain people that would be pretty soon not wearing suits but wearing striped uh clothes well you know i managed to i managed to avoid the striped clothes i probably shouldn't have but i did but uh but when was right, this picture um, taken of you and Floyd this ben? picture was ta- i'll tell you when this picture was taken this picture was taken in in 1994 in pensacola florida where the fighter that i was managing and floyd was training martin foster was in the co-feature against Melvin Foster uh, uh, on a card that featured Roy Jones in the main event. Okay. And what were you doing with Floyd there? Because obviously he was no longer fighting at that point. Well, Floyd was training a number of my fighters. So we were business partners. Okay. And give us a little preview, because you said the book is basically written... And I'm sure you have to. You can yeah. have to go to some ring wars with uh, editors, as as we all sometimes have to do. But give us just a little idea of the connection of these of jazz fight fixing and the mob. How separate are these three things? Certainly, well, fight that, fixing and the question. mob is is not um, separate. Is not separate at all. And strangely enough. Um, Jazz and, and the mob is not separate at all because what I found is that from my kind of mid-teens on, I could make more money playing in mob clubs than I could in places like jazz clubs. And I was only playing for money anyway. So I wound up for quite a number of years playing a succession of mob clubs and that got me involved with fight fixing. It got me involved with boxing, uh, gambling on boxing. And ironically, one of the first people who introduced me to mob guys was a Boston fighter named Tommy Tibbs, who was a very good club fighter in the 60s, um, who put me in touch with, indirectly, um, Maurice Levy, who you probably know about, who was a a music guy, but he was also a gangster. And for a little while, though, and although I never met Maurice Levy, but he owned Birdland, and he owned, um, and, you know, he he brought Frankie Lyman into the music business, and he owned a record label, and he owned a series of record stores that dealt in sold, stolen merchandise and, and money laundering. So one of the early gigs I had as a kid was doing the betting, the boxing betting, for those mobsters. Um, so there's some there's some overlap, you know. I mean, life is an imperfect uh, construction, and so you know those things aren't necessarily separated. So they're all um, connected to a lot of drinking too, which is interesting because I've never had a drink in my life. I know, I know that, but those three genres are jazz, fight fixing, and the mob are connected a lot to to drinking. It's true. 
It's true. I spent a lot of times in people places where people were doing a lot of very, very serious drinking. But I wasn't among them. I wasn't among the drinkers anyway. So but we're anyway, expecting people, this in, yeah. in June and uh June I'm told it's June twenty ninth. Yep, that's what it says on Amazon and if it says well, it on Amazon it must be true. Right. But, uh, exactly. So and it, that's the hardcover price. That is the hardcover price, right? Um, and I don't know, you know, I'm getting the trade, the trade versions, which are not for sale in the next couple of weeks, which I'll just give to people who can help me business-wise. Um, and then we just wait to see. You know, what really, what I'm what I'm counting on is reviews that make some sense, reviews that actually do the book some good. You know, because it's not. I would say it's probably the most insider boxing book ever written, but it's not a boxing book. It it might talk about jazz in a way that's unique too. But it's not a jazz book, and it just, you know there's a lot of explication of the the way the mob works and fight fixing works, but it's not a it's not a mob book either. So, you know, I'm hoping that there's a, there's a point at which readers we'll find something of interest in all of those subjects in the, the way that those subjects are interconnected and that they'll, they'll enjoy the book. Well, when it, when it becomes available, make sure to shoot me over a copy of it. Absolutely. Or a, pre, of a preview, uh, preview copy so I can discuss it more, uh, you know, than in just general terms with just seeing this, this cover and, and the, uh, the title of the book. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a copy with your name on it, I promise you. Very good, very good. So let's wrap this up. We've gone like a long time. Anything else you just want to add or people want to find you? Because I know you're not doing the, the social media stuff anymore. No. I, th I think there would be a way for you to do Twitter without getting diverted and crazy on it. But um, Nah, not nah. I, you know, here's what I've found for whatever it's worth, good or bad. If people want to find me, they can find me, and I, you know, I let them be resourceful enough to do it. But social media doesn't work for me. I don't like it. Um, I find it, um, I find it petty, you know. So I, I'm much happier not being involved with it, and um, you know. But you know, if if people want to find me, I'm findable. It's a very important for authors. But you don't have to engage in a lot of the nonsense, but a lot of authors get on, particularly get on Twitter, to uh, communicate with people, and they look it up and they go directly to a link, either to the book or however, you know, a website or something to find you. It makes it easier than having, cause having to just sort of search and search and search. Well, I understand that, but I'm not going to do that anyway, because luckily... Um, you know, being being poor has has helped make me a free man. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. But my publisher, Hamilcar Publications, is very much on social media, very findable, very much a presence. And I invite anyone who's interested to look at their website and 
they can find out whatever they want to find out about my book and, and quite a number of other interesting books. All right. Do you got any other boxing writing coming up, more articles, contemporary things coming up at all? No, no, uh, I don't. Um, you know, the last year or so has been dedicated to just doing this book. And unfortunately, I don't see anybody paying my fee anymore, you know? Um, and, you know me, I'm all, I've always been a prima donna. That's never going to change, you know? You want me to write for you, you got to pay me. And I'm not talking about, you know, these on, you know, online website fees. You know, I'm not talking about... Uh, yeah. Well, the business is the business has changed, and a lot of those opportunities have dried up. So, yeah. to where it, and what's replaced it has has not been the same, or else has just been a lot of a lot of garbage that's that's up there. That was, sometimes we talk about how how bad a lot of this type of stuff is. So. It's true. No, there's a lot of very very weak writing and uh, written by people who really don't understand boxing as boxing or boxing as a business or boxing as culture for that matter and if you don't understand all three you know you probably shouldn't be writing about boxing yeah well that boxing as culture is almost nobody deals with that so that's it's kind of where we're at i don't think people even understand that they don't understand it and that they're supposed to understand it well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the reasons why uh, I initially got so much heat, or, and continue to get heat, uh, by writing about fight fixing, you know, which is something, as you know, I very, very much approve of doing, um, is because of people's total lack of awareness about culture. You know, now, I mean, you know, I, again, there's money involved, and I can't say that I didn't fix fights for money, because I did. And that's one, you know, but it's not that simple. And of course, people tend to reduce boxing to black and white, you know, that there are good guys and there are bad guys. And um, you can only be one or the other. And they have no awareness of the fact that there's a real complexity of, of experience that goes into being in the fight business. And what you think you know you probably don't know. Well, I think this is going to be, I anticipate this is going to be explained more in depth in the book. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this and seeing the discussions around it. So, uh, again, this is going to be coming out in uh, June of next year, hopefully. And uh, Charles Farrell wrote Low Life, a memoir of jazz, fight fixing, and the mob. And I think all the discussion we've had about box con these last couple of weeks of boxing is sort of a continuation of that whole analysis, too. So we're looking forward to putting this all in context. Because we don't just talk about who won or who's going to win or how they won, but we put it in the cultural context as well. That's what I think. That's what what's you know makes it a, a you know a a complex and rich experience. I think that's what you need to do. Yes, and that goes back to my point that I think that one of the key problems of boxing, aside from 
the usual problems that everybody sees, the paywalls, a million champions, the best not fighting the best, you know, bad officiating, etc., etc., is the cultural aspect of today of trying to get people to watch people beating each other up during a pandemic and during this time, which is added to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a very, very legitimate concern. And and, and, in effect, it's not an arguable concern. You know, I mean, I mean, not arguable from the other point of view. You know, if if you see that as being something that that's morally objectionable, that's not, fair not, enough. I don't that's, mean that's more, I don't mean morally objectionable. To something you're just not in the mood for. Well, or something you're not in the mood for. There's every reason to to feel that way. You know. Um, you know, I mean, we, you and I grew up with it. It's, it's something that we know. And it also means that we can see, and this is a complex subject, but we can see the, the absence of violence in a very, very violent business. That, so that boxing does not necessarily seem to be as violent an enterprise as it would seem to, to someone who's untutored. Again, that's not making a case that it's not violent. It is violent, or that it's not dangerous. It's unbelievably dangerous. But, you know, immersed in it, you actually see the, the logic that goes on in the middle of it. I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's funny, I, I don't try to make a case for it, and I never try to make a case for it. Um, there may no, there may not be a case to be made for it, but um, I think I can say that when you and I are watching boxing, what we're seeing isn't just senseless violence. No, in all, in, no, not on the, on, not on the higher level. And I've been watching right. it since I was a kid. I mean, yeah, we talked a little before about Floyd Patterson. Those are some of the first fights that I remember, the trilogy with Ingemar Johansson. And I was just starting mm-hmm. to understand boxing at the time. And uh, from TV, would try to s- score the fights when I would see them. I mean, when I saw mm-hmm. Ali, when he was then known as Cassius Clay, fight Doug Jones, I thought watching on TV that Doug Jones won the fight. I mean, I probably Oh, come didn't. on. Oh, my God. Well, no, I was don't a teenager <laughs> then. I, but a lot of people felt that, though. Yeah, but they wanted to feel that. Yeah, well, I mean, that, was, yeah, was, but I was, was a, a kid. I was a kid. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I'd never been to a live professional fight or anything like that. But uh, I'm not, that's my. That, those are my. Those are some of my earlier I'm memories. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I right, remember. No, those... I remember seeing uh, the the third Emil Griffith uh, Benny Kid Perret fight, and right on TV. On TV, I think right. it was on ABC. Right. And I still remember that closing sequence that, you know, if you watch the video now, how many seconds was that final sequence? About 13 seconds as it Ruby felt, Goldstein who freezes. Like thir- but it felt like 13 hours Forever. when you're watching it Is live. It right, right, right. Absolutely. No, and especially see. as a kid watching it, a teenager watching it that wasn't accustomed to that and knowing it was going to be, you know, too... I didn't know a whole lot about boxing, but I knew who these guys were. I knew they were two top-level fighters. You know, it wasn't like, you know, a, a mismatch by any means. 
No, they'd split their first two fights. Yeah, and when I watched the fight later on video, I couldn't believe how short that last sequence was. Yeah. Because that's not how I remembered it. And, you know, your memories, you know, you know, divulge from reality over uh, many years. But that was that was the impression that I got. So my my point is that I've been watching this stuff a long time, but there were peri- there were just periods that I just get disgusted with it and don't want to watch it at all. No, I I agree. Same here. Same here. You know, um, and you know, and I and I tend to watch old fights. I mean, I'm glad that boxing is going through a kind of interesting resurgence for the moment. I mean, now we're not talking business-wise. I'm talking about the fights themselves, and that there are a series of very interesting fights coming on, you know, that have been on recently and will be on in the near future. But on the whole, if I'm going to watch boxing, I'm going to watch old fights. I'm going to watch fights between guys, you know, who are time-tested. Yes, and a lot of the, those are available. Sometimes they don't have the complete fight up, but you could see an awful lot of stuff, an awful lot of old stuff is on there. Well, I th- I think we're going to wrap it up because we've gone like way, way over what we anticipated. So I hope people uh, made it this whole way, and I'm sure a lot of these issues are going to be indre- addressed in the book and uh, continuing on whatever else whatever other crazy stuff happens in this insane world that we're living in at this point. Right. So, All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to uh, to talk. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep watching this stuff, keep seeing what's happening. And in the not never to expect too much because in the immortal words of Eddie Hearn it's boxing Eddie (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you Eddie it's it's always good to talk to you thank you No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com the home of Lenny Hart the legendary MMA and sports announcer voice actor singer actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her, or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Combat Sports Equipment creator of the patented Skulls Double End Bag is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment that's Skulls with a Z. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls, with a Z, Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. 
Hello, everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.